sports are really important vehicles for relationships. We have purpose. We have a why. We bring people together. We connect. I feel like God is our greatest supporter and our greatest coach. Welcome to Rabbi on the Sidelines. This is Rabbi Erez Sherman from Sinai Temple in Los Angeles. This week we are going to talk to somebody in a sport that we have never spoken about and a sport that is gaining popularity in the land of Israel. It's flag football. And this week, the week as we celebrate the holiday of Hanukkah, it talks about first, it talks about bringing light to the world. And this person truly brings light to the world. It's head coach Alyssa Zagoskin, live from Jerusalem. Alyssa, good to have you here on the show. Hey, Rabbi Sherman, thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Flag football, it's played around the world but I've never really heard about it as a professional sport. But let's go backwards first, because you didn't grow up in Israel. You weren't a professional athlete in Israel, but rather here in the United States in Philadelphia at a Jewish day school, Akiba, which was formerly or now known as Barrack Academy, actually a alma mater of my senior rabbi, Rabbi David Wolpe, CNN's Jay Kapper, Mitch Album, the great author, and alma mater of Alyssa Zagostian. So through your journey of Akiba Academy in Philadelphia and that love of sports that you combined within the Jewish world. Oh, great. Awesome. Um, yeah. Also, uh, Josh, Josh Shapiro, the uh, recently elected governor yeah, of uh, Pennsylvania. So I don't know where I fall into that, but I went to Akiba. Um, so, yeah, I grew up in Philadelphia and um, uh, or right outside Philadelphia. And really from a, a really young age, I just always was involved with sports um, it was just something that, uh, it was just super, always super fun. Um, I, you know, just being, you know, hand-eye coordination, um, uh, understanding like how to move in space that just things that just came naturally to me. And, uh, I started playing like any, probably like any normal American kid. I, I started playing youth, uh, township sports when I was about like six or seven. Uh, I started playing softball and then, um, when I was 10, I got a basketball and that was kind of like the end. I was like, okay, I found it. Um, and I started just playing basketball. I played in, you know, different leagues, played for my schools, went to, and then eventually went to Akiba, played basketball and other sports there, but basketball was really, uh, my main love. And, uh, and, uh, I was able just to compete at a, a high level there. And, um, always, you know, there's so many different, um, I think as a kid, uh, and especially as a, a young girl growing up, um, playing sports plays such an important role, like in life, in terms of de- developing and um, and uh, really cultivating skills that you you need in life, on and off the field. Whether that's leadership, understanding how to uh, handle pressure, um, how to work together, how to you know work together to get to a certain goal. Um, I think those are all intangibles that you're able to develop and uh, and like I said, cultivate uh, on the field. That's going to help you off the field as well. So that's Akiba uh, um, playing in, I believe, Wells Fargo Center just last week. I saw Rabbi Marshall Lisak, a friend of ours. Um, yeah. Yeah. There. Is there a highlight of your Akiba experience that you realize, wow, sports is really something bigger than just the ball? Um, uh, I've got to think back. Um, I think it was just, you know, in general, um, being part of, of our team there, uh, competing uh, as a Jewish school in a non-Jewish, you know, we're in a, in a league that didn't, uh, we were the only Jewish school competing in that, competing at a high level. Um, we didn't win our uh, cha- our league championship our senior my senior year, but we I took them there. Uh, we we went there uh, together, and 
I think, yeah, just competing at a, at a high level um, was something that always, um, you know, I, I wanted to represent that. Um, you know, there's a lot of different funny stereotypes about uh, Jews and playing sports. And uh, I'm certainly not the biggest person out there. Um, but I think just uh, having a will and a drive um, and being able to, to always want to compete and do your best. Um, that was always like the, the challenge for me. Um, and, uh, and to kind of, you know, show a different side of, of what we do and what we're capable of doing. And what about flag football? Did that exist in the Akiba world? Was it something that you just picked up later in life? What was the entry into that sport? Uh, yeah, it was completely something I picked up later in life. I mean, I th again, just as like an American kid kind of growing up, and if you're into sports, you're always going to throw the football around in the backyard. I can remember, you know, just as a kid, uh, my dad would, you know, run routes with us, with my sister and I, and, you know, tell us to cut right, cut left, but nothing, nothing more than that. Um, and I picked up flag football really when I came to Israel. Um, we, uh, my sister and I, uh, I've got three sisters. So two of us live in Israel and uh, two of them are, are still in the States. But the, my sister who lives in, in Israel, uh, Jesse, who's also part of our, our national team as a coach now, um, she plays sports too. And they had a league um, that they were, um, they were starting for women. And we had a friend who was playing in the league previously. And she said, hey, do you, you want to come play in this flag football league? Uh, so we kind of just said, okay, sure, that sounds fun. Um, and we showed up and we played in a couple games and then really it was all happenstance. The coach of the national team was at the league games. I uh, saw us playing and he asked us if, you know, we want to try out for the national women's Israeli, uh, flag football team. So first of all, we didn't even know what that was. We're like, right. what, uh, we didn't even know that, uh, a flag football was such a big sport. Um, and that B Israel had a national team, uh, for women. And at that point, it was it was kind of like they were in a few years in existence, um, and they began traveling around and, and going to different tournaments. Um, and really, from that point forward, we tried out, made the team, and I've been involved uh, with the team uh, since then. And that's been for the past 15, 16 years. So I love the story that you told me uh, a couple of weeks ago about Myra Kraft, the late wife of the owner of the New England Patriots, Bob Kraft, and her involvement in, of course, men's football in uh, – in the state of Israel, but realizing that the, the women were on the sidelines. So Myra Kraft yeah. tells about her significance so, in the story. Right. So there's the, this legendary story, right? Our we've been around long enough, so we've got like, you know, the, the tales of, of our league, but it's uh but it's very true. Um the uh like you said, Bob and Myra Kraft uh were have been uh generous supporters uh to the state of Israel and certainly to our program, American football in Israel. Um, and uh, they've uh, been generous enough to to donate fields and uh, facilities for us. So one of the first fields that they uh, built in Jerusalem, uh, they were having a, a game there, and it was a game between you know two guy teams. And um, Bob and Myra Kraft were there along with their their delegation. And Myra saw a bunch of girls just standing on the sideline, and she said, "What are you What are you guys doing here?" And they were throwing around the ball, and she's like, "Why aren't you guys playing?" Uh, what are you doing here? And they're like, well, we're here to see, you know, our brother play, our cousin, our friends. And she's like, but why, why aren't you playing? And, um, and they just simply said, well, there's not a league for us. Mm -hmm. So literally at that moment, uh, she said, well, you're going to have a league and we're going to have a team and you're going to be on it. Um, <coughs> excuse me. And that was, that was the start of it. Um, and it was really through her just very simply going up to girls and being like, you want this opportunity? You, you can have it. It's yours. And I'll, and I'll help you and I'll support that. And um, 
Myra was really just like a driving force for our team and our program, always being supportive of us. Um, not only sending us to tournaments, but also anytime she came to visit, just being like so, you know, authentic and wanting to know not only how we're doing as a team, but she was always very concerned. How are we doing as individuals? What are we doing in life? You know, where we're at. Um, and that was, that always stuck with me as, you know, someone who genuinely took the time uh, to get to know us, to talk to us. Um, and it wasn't simply about, you know, being a sponsor and getting a name on a shirt. It was, it was a project and was something that she truly believed in. So you seem to be a pioneer, not just in Israel sports, but also in the world of, of, uh, of female sports. What is the message to young girls who are maybe not going out there and trying for a sport that's saying, you know what, you can do this, not just for fun, but also to really uh, bring values to your life, to your community, and to, to make a statement out there in terms of courage and leadership? Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I think that that in itself would be the message. I, and I think it's, uh, there's so many young women out there and young girls uh, who maybe feel intimidated, feel like you said, like not, they're not good enough um, or never even thought about it. Um, and I think it's really just kind of getting out there and just trying. Um, and I think in, in our league um, in Jerusalem, where flag football is still a growing sport, you see that all the time. There's a lot of young girls and women that are coming out that never had this opportunity to, before, really, to play a sport in an organized league. And they come out and some of them are good and some of them aren't so good. Um, but it's that opportunity to, uh, to come together on a field, work together as a team, work together as women, um, understanding what your body's capable of, pushing yourself, understanding that all those are qualities that young women and girls uh, you possess and it's inside of you. And whether it's through sports or some other forum, um, that's something that, um, that you, can, you can always rely on. And you don't, it doesn't have to be through sports, but sports is certainly a great uh, way to start that um, and learn some really, like I said, really important skills that have helped me throughout my life. A great career to keep, and then you go to Maryland, which is not a Jewish school, but has a great Jewish community. What was the road of sports through college that also realized that, okay, I might not be playing Division One basketball, but I am continually being involved in this community of sports? Yeah, so, uh, I mean, the decision to go to Maryland uh, was really primarily based on uh, the fact that I wanted to school with a, with a good, strong Jewish community. Um, there was opportunities uh, to play at smaller schools, D1, D2, three, uh, you know, D2, D3 schools, um, uh, play basketball there. And I think I would have had a great experience there, but there was something um, that I didn't want to compromise on. Um, and that was be, having access and being part of a, a strong Jewish community. I'm a religious Jew, um, so I observe Shabbat, uh, I keep kosher. Um, and those are all things that I'm proud of and that I didn't want to, to feel that I needed to compromise on. Um, I think certainly now, even today, uh, more so today, there's, there's more of a discussion and conversation about that, um, which I think is really important to understand, you know, you can, you can be religious and you can play sports and there's a way to do that. Um, and at Maryland, I found a way to do that um, playing club basketball. Um, so that was like uh, an in-between kind of thing. It, was, it wasn't intramural. It certainly wasn't playing on the varsity team, but it was playing intercollegially with uh, with other you know women at Maryland. Played basketball at a very high level, um, and we would compete against the different colleges like along the East Coast. Um, so that was just like a great opportunity, another opportunity to continue that, and also feel I'm not particularly compromising on anything. Uh, the tournaments you know took place on on weekends. Uh, 
to, to the degree that uh, they knew that, you know, um, if I couldn't get there on, on Shabbat, obviously, they, they did everything they could to plan most of the tournaments on a Sunday. Um, so again, I think it was like that combination of, of uh, Maryland teaching me, you know, growing up in a Jewish day school, you know, you're kind of in a bubble. Um, and, uh, and you go out into the world and you've got to, you've got to explain and you've got to teach and you've got to, um, and you've got to kind of stand, stand your ground on what it is that you want to do and what, what you don't want to do. And I think that was a great opportunity to learn, to explain things and learn like where my boundary was, but also get the response of people saying, okay, that sounds good. Like we can, we can, we can do that. And so let's talk about that effect because it's really in the news these days with Ryan Terrell wearing a keeper in the G League playing for the Motor City Cruise, where there's kosher food sold at a Detroit, basically NBA minor league game, where thousands of Jews are coming to watch him around the country. It's on my calendar when he comes out to play the Lakers G League, you know, to, to attend that game with my community. You have the Tamir Goodman effect, who obviously went to Maryland as well, where you went for then to Towson yeah. and then is doing yeah. exactly that in Israel and then sending those people back here to Los Angeles um, where they're appearing here at Sinai Temple. Talk about that yeah. effect and how uh, you play a role in that community of both bringing people to Israel, but then also connecting with a diaspora and a high level of Jews in sports. Um, yeah, first of all, I mean, I think, like I said, um, I think the, you know, the global community is, you know, there's so many, you know, different issues out there today, but I think one positive thing that, that's happening is that um, people uh, are not, uh, they, they want to show who they are. Um, and I think that and, that, and that falls, you know, in so many different categories, um, you know, how they're going to define themselves. Um, so I think, you know, that, you know, as, a, as uh, you know, if, if you're religious in, in, you know, however you want to define that, um, that's another platform where people say, well, this is who I am and this is what I believe in and I want to participate. I want to do, uh, but I also hold another set of values that are equally, if not more important. Um, so I think, um, understanding like how to like work that balance, right. As, um, you know, we, we, we often, uh, on our team now, we, um, it'll be an ongoing, uh, debate and not debate really a conversation in terms of, uh, in the past, and our tournaments, um, we were always given special permission not to play on Shabbat mm -hmm. um, because uh, a lot of the uh, you know a lot of the girls were religious. Um, today, there's two factors. Uh, some of the girls on our team are religious; the majority of them are not. And because the sport is growing, and these tournaments that we go to, the number of countries that are coming, and the ability to accommodate everything um, is logistically harder. Question is, you know, are we going? Do we have to now play on Shabbat? Right. Uh, certainly as an organization, um, they're, uh, they're always going to uh, try and do their best so that our teams don't have to play on Shabbat. But then the question is, if we do, what, 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 what are we doing together as a team? Mm -hmm. And I think if that falls in there, you know, well, what do you do in terms of respecting everyone and what they want to do and what the concept of a team is? Um, and we, we faced that uh, just a few months ago when we went to, to a tournament in Denmark. And what we came to the conclusion was that um, we really only had one game that they scheduled on Shabbat. Um, and the girls who felt comfortable playing on Shabbat went and the girls who didn't, didn't go, but it was an understanding that the team came to saying, we know we're at a disadvantage, right? But we respect, uh, we respect um, people who don't want to play. 
And at the same time, you know, it's just, it's just like kind of like working together and religious and the religious girls on uh, the, the religious staff, understanding that as Jews and religious Jews, if you choose to live in this world, those are decisions that you have to make. You know, you're saying, I still want to participate in this. This is what I want to do. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to try every which way to get that done. Um, without feeling I'm compromising who I am. And it collectively as a community, right? Religious, not religious to come together and say, this is what we're gonna do. Um, and I think that's a message that, um, that we can you know, continue to work on, uh, not only within our own team, but how we approach understanding and sports. Mm -hmm. um, certainly even you know, growing up, I remember playing township sports and there were often games on uh, you know, Friday afternoons that went like pretty late. And I remember my parents just being like, she'll be there, right? <laughs> she'll be there until like the sun starts going down. Um, and the coaches were like, oh, okay, that makes sense, you know? Uh, so I think if, if you know, we kind of, I hope, you know, that, 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 that shift is like, you know, continues in that direction of just understanding and accepting and then, and then going through a process of, okay, how can we work together? Actually, uh, I have a similar story. I didn't go to Kiva, but I went to a secular private school in upstate New York. And the co-captain of my team was, in fact, the Seventh-day Adventist, who also didn't play on Shabbat. And so because you had a Jew and a religious Seventh-day Adventist who had the same uh, restrictions on the Sabbath, um, then right. the coach realized, oh, this is not just one crazy kid. But we really also found that out in a non-Jewish environment. You spoke about Denmark. I want to uh, play a clip here of the flag football team playing against Denmark, and I believe it's Rivka Weinberg that we're going to talk about and maybe tell us a little about her, and uh, we'll watch this clip. Sure. And it goes long to Rivka. And we got it. I think it's we're going to have to get the score. And we have a touchdown. Touchdown, touchdown Israel. Rivka Weinberg. That was very close to being stopped right on the one, but Rivka got in. Touchdown, Israel. Rivka Weinberg came, came to this team a lot younger than she is now, and she's learned a lot from the veterans. She's now the veteran, one of the go-to uh, receivers. Very, very impressive cat. So you don't often hear Rivka Weinberg with the touchdown. Who is Rivka <laughs> Weinberg? How did she go from a beginner to a veteran? Tell us about this young woman. Yeah, um, that's, a, that's great. First of all, I should tell you the clip that you showed us playing Denmark, that was just about a year ago or more than uh, literally about a year ago at the world championships uh, for um, our organization. We had 42 countries and it was held in Jerusalem. Yeah, it's um, that's amazing. Yeah. So, talk so that, that, that 42 countries coming to Israel. What's the story of something that you saw of maybe a country or athlete that had never been to Israel, but on the field, you created a synergy that realize that this isn't the imperialist colonialist country that they talk about on the news. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the experience over and over again. And what was interesting, uh, this was a, a year ago, and that was in the middle of um, another COVID, um, you know, spike. Yep. That was Omicron. And literally, um, a week before the tournament, we didn't know if it was going to take place. Mm -hmm. um, and it, I mean, this was like months in, you know, months in the planning. This was after canceled tournaments in other countries. And they asked Israel again to host. We hosted the Euros a year before. And they, they asked us to host again because everyone had such a good time when they came to Israel. Right. Um, the facilities are great. Um, it's such a cool, you know, when we go to countries and compete and we go to the fields there, you know, it's, 
you know, it's a field um, and it's and it's great. And they've got the flags up. But there was something just about being in our home field, driving into uh, our field in Jerusalem and just seeing Kraft Stadium up there. All the flags are there. There's, like I said, 42 countries uh, that are there that are feeling comfortable. Um, you know, um, it's a it's a place where they, you know, you can speak English. Uh, it's, you know, there are all the, you know, modern um Anemones that you, you know, amenities that you have, and um, and I think people just really felt comfortable here. And, and like I said, the reason why in the in the time of COVID, uh, when they were the our organ, the international flag, uh, International Federation of American Fo uh, Football was scrambling to find a place to host the Worlds, um, and they came back to Israel after we had hosted the Euros the year before, was really because of this fantastic experience that everyone had. Um, in Israel. Um, and to that extent, again, just, you know, kind of all follows through where I'm sitting right now. I'm in Wingate uh, Institute in Netanya in Israel. Um, and we're hosting right now the German team uh, for a training camp. And they were more than excited to come back to Israel um, and experience it again. Um, we had, you know, the team came a couple days prior. They're staying a little bit after. And uh, besides just like the weather that they're enjoying immensely over, you know, minus whatever degree it is in Germany. Um, they just, they really like being here. Um, what are they doing and I think that besides training on a field, are they going to a Yad Vashem? Are they going to the Kotel? Are they going to the Church of Holy Sepulchre? What does that piece look like when a visiting team yeah. sees? Um, so, I mean, this was kind of uh, something that we, the two teams set up on our own. Um, and I know, like I said, uh, girl, women on the uh, German team got here earlier in the week, so they were all over. They were in Yerushalayim, in Jerusalem. They went up to Haifa. They're going to Tel Aviv after this. Uh, they're touring around. Um, specifically, we're, you know, we're just, like, focused on football. Um, if there was more time, I think we would take, you know, like, we would love to, like, travel together and, and uh, take them on different trips around the country. It's just a question of time. Uh, but their willingness to come, not only willingness, like their, their wanting and desire to come here um, is always is always welcome. And it, it's just like a, it's a nice feeling. And then to talk about going to Europe. I know you mentioned you, in fact, spoke to our uh, middle school flag football team. Uh, for those who don't know, there was an anti-Semitic incident with our Sinai Akiba Academy flag football team and a coach. Um, and these young people in America during the Kanye Kyrie days <laughs> of uh, intensity. Um, realize that there was an issue and then you reached out to us because you heard about this team. Um, when you yeah. go to Israel representing Israel in a different country that maybe not be as friendly politically, what does that look like when you're forming human relationships on the field? And I know you talked about one time maybe that, you know, somebody didn't want to shake your hand, but they explained the reason why. Yeah. So I think in general, um, and this is something I, I explained when I was talking to, to your students, uh, there's like this kind of like there, um, we work on in like two parallel levels, right? On one hand, we're traveling as a national team um, and any national team that's traveling through, you know, representing the state of Israel, we fly with security. Um, we fly and we've got, you know, certain um, um, rules and regulations that we have to follow. We can't wear anything that says Israel on it while we're flying. Um, if you're a, a guy or a girl and you want to wear a kippah, um, you can't. They prefer if you wear a hat over uh, we can't, we, you know, they don't want to speak in Hebrew, um, you know, publicly in, 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 like I said, in public spaces. When we go on a bus to the field, the security guards sweep the bus, they sweep the field. Um, there's restrictions in terms of where we can go and when we can do that. 
depending upon the country. Um, and that's like a very, it's, it's not overdone. Uh, that's a very real threat um, that Israel feel, you know, that, that exists out there. Um, not only like for Israel, but Israel as, as representing the state, but also, you know, Jewish people and, and they're very, you know, real instance, instance, instances of anti-Semitism. Um, and we've certainly gone to countries that it's, you know, uh, and visited with the communities there. And it's a very real thing. Um, that being said, the other side of it is, it is oftentimes we go to the field and um, most times that is, um, and we don't experience anything uh, other than we're here to play sports. Um, a lot of, uh, most of the teams are like intrigued by Israel uh, for several reasons. You know, it's this Middle Eastern country, but at the same time, there's a bunch of people sp speaking English, like Americans. Um, they don't quite understand like how that happened. Um, so most of the time it's, it's a really pleasant, really nice, you know, just sports experience. What you were referring to uh, before was one incident. Um, and, and it was, it, it highlighted just like a, you know, an unfortunate, um, situation, you know, where we were, we were in a world championship, um, and we were at the opening ceremonies of this world championship. Um, and, um, and each team goes up, you know, everyone stands up for them and they clap and the head of the delegation says a few words. Um, and when they called us up, all the countries stood, except there was a country, uh, there was Kuwait was there and they didn't stand up. Um, I should say the the uh, Kuwait said it just a male delegation. They they just had a, a, a men's team, and it was actually one of one of my uh, players um, who really had just you know like an incredible amount of I don't know if it's guts or just you know we just wanted to know what's going on. She kind of like went up to right, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And she went up to one of the players and said, "Why don't you guys stand up? Like this is sports. Like this isn't about politics. This is just about coming together." And, uh, and playing a sport that we love. And the, that player, interestingly enough, said, I don't really, have, none of us have a problem. It's not us. We're sponsored by someone who told us under no circumstances are you to stand uh, for, for Israel. Um, and that kind of just like hit me um, on that level. While flag football is, is a, you know, it's a sport and we played internationally and it's getting bigger. Uh, the hope is for flag football to be approved to go to the 2020, 2028 Olympics. In so Los it's kind Angeles, of blowing right? up. Los, exactly. In Los Angeles. I hope, you guys. <laughs> I hope so. Um, but even on that level to understand like what, what are the motivations? What are the thought processes that go through, you know, players heads and oftentimes, you know, we see in the Olympics or in different world championships or European championships, where you have an Israeli athlete that needs to compete against uh, a co particular competitor, uh, sometimes from, I don't know, Egypt, it's, it's happened before, uh, or in other countries, and they don't, they'll either forfeit or they're not going to shake their hand. Um, and that incident maybe just highlighted for me, like, maybe they actually don't, you know, I don't think they care. I think they just want to play sports. But unfortunately, politics might get involved or, or things that, like, we just unfortunately can't move past. So not only are we getting hurt, you know, in terms of like the delegation of Israel, but also the other, the other delegation, the other competitors, they're there to play. They want to play and they want to be competitors like everyone else, but there's other forces and pressures that are on them um, that are sometimes very serious. Um, and they're, they, they just don't, they don't, it doesn't seem as though they have a choice. I think you saw that on the larger scale in the world cup, of course, with Iran and with 
Qatar and with the United States and how all that all was playing out, but realizing that it's not just on the grand stage, but it's also on the sports of flag football and a semi-professional league that people are just want to play sports, but those sports are allowed to bring people together in a way that's saying, that person's telling me what to do, but I actually not not care, but I, I do care actually about the individual um, on the other side of the ball as well. So tell us yeah. who are. T- t- tell us who Rifko Weinberg is, and yeah. just because I saw her on the yeah, yeah, you played the clip. No, player. So Rifka actually, uh, they called her a veteran player, but uh, t- that Rifka today is is still only, I think she's nineteen still. She might oh, have wow. just turned twenty. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Rifka has just been playing um, flag football since she was just a little kid. Her father. Uh, Devere Weinberg was a player that played on the men's national team uh, when I was still playing. Um, And she's just kind of grown up in the sport and came in as just a very uh, quiet kid. She's still a little bit quiet, um, but kind of intimidated by the veterans, but always just, you know, stuck it out. She's an incredible athlete. She's got speed. She's got incredible strength. And because she started at such a young age, you know, her understanding grows each year about the game. And, um, and like, even today, like literally I was just talking with my other coach about on the field today, what Rifka was doing, um, and her, you know, her understanding of everything. Um, and she, you know, if we're, if we're saying a veteran is, you know, 19, 20 years old, we, she's got a long future ahead of her. Um, and, uh, and she continues to work really hard and, uh, we're super proud of the work that she's done. She was born in Israel. She was born in Israel. She lives in Efrat. Um, her parents, um, her father made Aliyah uh-huh. and, uh, and played on the national team. I believe her mother uh, grew up in Israel, um, but uh, they come from, you know, American backgrounds. Yeah. So we're going to go uh, Moridin Bakodesh, Rilo Moridin. We're going to start with a simple question about football, but then I want to go to more of a faith aspect about your uh, life outside of the football field, specifically with your son Amichai and the strength that he's given you on the field as well. Um, sure. You have any inspirations in the football world, whether it's a Brady, whether it's with the Eagles of 11 and one this year, what's your football inspiration? And do you bring any of that in, from the NFL to uh, the, the the field of the Israeli national team? I mean, I'm from Philly, so I've got to represent, right? We're having a pretty good season. Right um, having a great year. And we were, uh, I was lucky enough, you know, all Philly fans were lucky enough just a couple of years ago. Also when we won that Super Bowl against the Patriots. Yep. Um, I, I, you know, I, so I'm, I, you know, we bleed green. Um, but at the same time, I think, um, you know, over these, the, you know, the, the, these past, you know, years that I've been involved with uh, flag football, um, having, you know, almost personal contact with the, the Kraft family and what they represent and the authenticity in which they approach us and talk to us um, and, and generously give. Um, I think that's certainly um, been, uh, inspiring, um, in terms of like just person to person connection. Um, one of the things they did for us, um, uh, a while ago was they flew us into Boston for their Israel celebration and they just like rolled out the red carpet for us. They gave us a tour of the stadium. We went and saw the Super Bowl trophies. We went into Bob Kras' office and he's showing us all the pictures and the rings and it was truly authentic and genuine. Um, and I think, that um, that's just like a huge lesson. You know, these are, you know, people out there that are, you know, they're big names uh, and they're, you know, they have an incredible amount of pull and, and, uh, and influence, but when you meet them and you have, uh, you know, a relationship with them, um, they're, they're people that are genuine, genuinely, you know, interested 
and wanting um, what's best uh, for for the program, for the players. Um, so I think that's certainly uh, it's it's been a real privilege to be around that and, and experience that. Two things that he did that really touched me were when Ezra Schwartz died and was killed in the terrorist attack. He uh, um, publicly brought that to Foxborough and to make note of that. And also just in the recent anti-Semitic pieces, putting a commercial, I believe was on NFL and NBC Sunday night, saying basically we stand against anti-Semitism. What do you see as the role as a, somebody like a Bob Kraft or somebody like people within the sports world in this country using sports as a platform to fight anti-Semitism as opposed to dividing people? Um, I mean, I think if anyone has a platform um, and they can use it for good, that's that's what you need to do. And like I said, you know what we were talking about in the beginning. You know, stand up for for what you for who you are and what you believe in. Um, and um, and there's times when you you know you need to speak up. Times when you need to say, uh, you know, speak a truth um, that is that that needs to be said. Um, and um, I, I I certainly like you know if you've got a platform, use it. And I think that's that's certainly what he's done. And Bob Kraft also, he's, he, uh, whenever he comes to Israel, he always, uh, when he speaks, uh, a lot of times he brings up the fact that um, the Patriots didn't win uh, their first Super Bowl until he started giving uh, to Israel. And uh, so, so I, I don't want to misquote that, but I believe I've heard that a few times. Um, and, you know, it said in, in joke, um, but certainly just feeling that connection and understanding that... Um, that that everything is 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 connected and related. So what you've done on the field is spectacular, miraculous. Hopefully, this episode is bringing more awareness to what you're doing on the field, bringing people together, both in different countries, both around the Jewish world, specifically within the Jewish world, which I think is as important today. Um, but I want to ask you about something that you've not done in your personal life, but have been faced with different challenges in your personal life, and you or the author and speaker of a TED talk about what it means to become a superhero, not necessarily by choice, but by, and I don't want to say by coincidence, but face, facing fears. And this is what you said about facing fear specifically, um, as opposed to your, I believe your Bubby's advice of not give up. But what happens when you literally face fear? What do you do with that? I couldn't power through having a child with special needs. I looked at Amichai in his incubator. I looked at him looking at me. Life was demanding more. I had fears and anxieties I had never known before. But how could I just put my head down and keep going? I had to confront them. I had to struggle with them. And I discovered there is a greater strength in facing fear, in admitting hardships. Because when you face a fear, when you actually allow it to come in, you'll see that all it does is passed through. And when you turn to see its path, it will have disappeared. And the only thing that remains is you. you. One of the best locker room speeches that I've ever heard about facing <laughs> fear. Because of course we face fear on the field and that's probably a defining characteristics of what makes great athletes as opposed to normal athletes. But you face it, it goes through you and the only thing that's remaining is you. You can share maybe just a little about Amichai and his uh, superhero story and how you face those fears as an individual, as a mother, and how those lessons that Amichai has taught you that you brought to the field in a very significant way. 
Yeah. Uh, well, that's certainly um, being a mom and being a mom specifically to Amichai uh, has been certainly been uh, a greatest privilege and, and gift in my life. Um, Amichai, uh, he's nine years old today. Um, Amichai, uh, when I was praying with Amichai, um, I had a normal pregnancy. Everything was um, absolutely fine. Um, and he was born on time. And um, what happened was uh, sometime around the time of birth, uh, we don't know exactly when, he suffered a stroke. Uh, they call it a neonatal stroke, whether that happens right before birth, during birth, or after birth. Um, and um, um, we, uh, we found this out while he was still in the hospital and he was going through some complications. Um, his desaturation levels went down, he was turning blue. They couldn't figure out what was going on with him. Um, and, uh, and eventually they, they, uh, they run a lot of tests. Uh, at one point they saw him kind of doing like a movement with his hand, um, which kind of just is like, uh, a twitch of his wrist. And that's unusual for babies. Babies kind of have like these, you know, everyone had, you know, see these, you know, little babies, they've got these like large, you know, uncontrollable movements. Uh, so when they saw that, they thought maybe something neurological had happened to him. So they got, a uh, an MRI and we, the MRI revealed that he had suffered this stroke at birth. Um, and he was diagnosed as having uh, CP, cerebral palsy. Uh, cerebral palsy is, um, uh, it's really an umbrella term um, that points to any, you know, there, there's so many types, uh, but it's, it's, uh, it's, it's something that uh, it's ca caused by a brain injury um, and it affects muscle movement, coordination. Um, and like I said, there's so many types and the type of cerebral palsy that he was diagnosed with is called hemiplegia, which means that there's one side of his body that um, is affected by the stroke. So he had a stroke um, on the left side of his brain. So that affects his right side. And what it practically means is that he's got higher muscle tone that runs you know, from the right side down. It's harder for him to use his right hand. Um, he's uh, he walks with asymmetrically, he walks with a brace and he walks a little, you know, uh, like I said, asymmetrically with a slight limp. Um, uh, but he's a, he's also just a kid. Um, and he's, he's, uh, thank God he's, he's super functional. He walks, he talks, he runs, he jumps, uh, he swims, he does karate. Um, and he does it, he, he does it and, uh, but he does it all differently. Um, and, um, those are some of the things, um, that Amichai has taught me. Um, and I've kind of, you know, I, I looked at cerebral palsy and I, you know, we call it CP. Um, and I said, well, it's really just an opportunity to change perceptions, right? When we look at people and understand, you know, a person with disability, what, what does that mean? Um, certainly growing up, I, I had limited exposure. Um, and as an athlete, like the idea of uh, you know, not being able to use your body in a certain way or, or, or move in a certain way, that, that actually frightened me. And I think it frightens a lot of people. Um, and Amichai uh, has really, has, has led the way for me in understanding how to look at things differently and understanding um, it's never ever about doing things in the right way or the normal way, whatever that means. It's just about doing them in your way and in the best possible way that you can do it and putting in that effort. So you mentioned a moment of collision in that TED talk, and there are different moments of collision in your life. How do you, how do we identify moments of collision in our lives, and in fact face them as opposed to not going to the repair shop and driving around with those dents? Yeah. So I think first of all, um, one of the biggest 
it, it's not even a lesson it, uh, for for Michael because it's something that I, I feel that I've known, and I think that we all know to a certain extent about like our own lives. Uh, but certainly, when Amichai was born and and he went through uh, this, you know, the, the, this event and, and was diagnosed as he was, um, I think one of the, the things that kind of just slapped me across the face was that um, it's not my plan, right? Um, I don't, I, 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 you know, I did everything I could during my pregnancy to to be healthy, and 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 it was. Um, and and this happened um and but the plan is greater than you could potentially imagine for yourself right it's a plan that you that you collide with like i said you collide with and you and you're you're confronted with and there's challenges there and the question is well what do i do with that do i have and and sometimes we doubt ourselves and say do we have the tools that we need to meet this challenge right i've got a i've got a child now who has special needs what do I do with that? You know, and it's scary. It was really scary. Like I said, there was just a ton of anxiety that I had no, I never experienced it before to that degree. And I think as parents, you know, you, you can identify with that. Um, you know, how, how do you, you know, how do you internalize that? And you can be scared. Um, but then it's a question of, of under, you know, understanding what to do with that fear. Um, and like I said, like letting it pass through you and understanding that this is not a moment of defeat, um, but it's a moment um, of opportunity. Um, and it's a moment of triumph. If you can look at that and say, okay, this is, this wasn't my plan, but this is what was given to me because I think that there's something, there's, there's a lesson here, right? And there's something that Amichai is supposed to do. There's something that I'm supposed to do with this. Um, and, and kind of, you know, to the best of my ability, use what I have and the strengths that, that, that I have to help Amichai. Um, and I remember sitting when we were you know, I was still in the hospital and I was, I was talking to my dad who my parents were incredibly supportive and helped through, you know, throughout this whole thing, uh, as well as my, my sisters and my family. And I remember my dad just said to me, he's like, you know, any parent feels this. He's like, but your whole life just led to this moment. He's like that. He's like, everything that you've done has led to this moment. And you can look at it and you can say, okay, well, how sports helped me? You know, what, what, you know, understanding, you know, determination, uh, work, you know, putting forth an effort, understanding the body, how it works, um, understanding that, you know, if you work and you're dedicated to something, you can achieve, you can achieve what you want to do. Um, and those skills, you know, were all kind of like funneled potentially into this moment for me um, and, uh, and help me through that. And so you shared a story that uh, when we met the first time about going to school, and uh, seeing him just being incorporated into that whole school in Jerusalem. What is it like with him in school in Jerusalem and just the amazing community of Israel within the special needs community? Right, so um, Amichai goes to a school uh, in Jerusalem, it's called Pele. Um, it's a- uh, Beautiful world, word meaning basically yeah, miracle. Yeah, a wonder. Um, and, and, and that's really what it is. It's, it's, it's taking, uh, it's, it's including everyone together uh, within, uh, you know, officially within each class, um, it's a regular school, but within each class, there's uh, three reserve spots for kids with special needs. And that's any, you know, that's, uh, that's you know, kids like Amichai of CP and cognitively, thank God they're, they're, they're okay. It's kids who are on the spectrum. Um, uh, it's kids with uh, whatever, um, you know, challenges that, that they might face, whether that's cognitive or, or physical. Um, but it's looking at the kids and the, um, the perspective of the school is looking at kids and saying, 
what what are you bringing? How are you helping our community? It's never looking at what you don't have. It's saying, what do we do have um, in order for you to help our community and to strengthen it? And I think, um, you know, that's, those are always the things that I, I try and, you know, preach to Amichai, like that, you know, you've got challenges and that's okay. Everyone has challenges, but you also have so many talents and those talents are going to take you where you need to get them. And those are talents that everyone will see, right? They're going to see them. And if they don't see past them, then, you know, kind of shame on them. And, uh, but, but more than that, you have this other opportunity to show if they can't see past this to help them, help them see past that, help them see that this is, this is really nothing. Right. Um, and, uh, and it's about like what you said, like, you know, like what you, what you, what you bring to the community. So what you bring on the field is as more what you bring off the field. And so when we came here to talk to you about football, I really came to talk to you about life. So we were so excited that you enjoyed us here at Sinai Temple, guest of Sinai Kiva Academy a couple of weeks ago. We look forward to following your journey of the Israeli national women's flag football team, hopefully in the 2028 Olympics here in Los Angeles. And Melissa, it's so great to have you on Rabbi on the Sidelines. Have a great Hanukkah and a wonderful day. Thank you. Hanukkah Sameach. Have a great Hanukkah. It was really great. I appreciate this um, and appreciate the work that you're doing. It's awesome. Thanks, Thanks so much. All right. All right.